Thank you for joining us for another podcast from Covenant Community Church. And now, today's message from Senior Pastor John Lofton. God knew us before he formed us and gave each of us a specific purpose and a specific destiny. It only stands to reason that he knew, listen to me close, he knew our gender spiritually before we had a natural body. God has never been confused. He takes us all the way back to where before we even had a natural anatomy, God said, I know who you are. Somebody say amen. Amen. So today I want to preach from the subject, do you know who you are? Hashtag, I know who I am. Do you know who you are? (laughs) Do you know your potential? Do you know your destiny? Do you know your purpose? Do you know your why in life? Or are you living your life based on what somebody else determined for you to live? Rhetorical questions, but I want you to answer those in your spirit. In the natural, identity theft has caused billions of dollars of damage to consumers like me and you. Billions of dollars. I know you probably have family members or loved ones who've had the identity, identity stolen, or you might be the person that have had it stolen. These thieves do not discriminate on who they steal from. I mean, from the elderly to the middle-aged to college students, there are no limits to what they will do. Now, there are a plethora of resources available today that shows us how we can keep our identity secure and protected. But unfortunately, There are many people who have a social security number, a credit card, and a driver's license. They will show you to identify who they are in the natural, but they have no clue who they are in the kingdom of God. Life is not a problem to be solved, but an adventure to be lived. Isn't that good? See, God is not trying to solve a problem for you. He sent you to solve problems. Let me say that one more time. He sent you to solve problems. Somebody put your hand on your heart and say, I'm a problem solver. Now, see, if you are a problem maker, (laughs) then you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be solving problems. There are many people going through life on autopilot. I hope I'm not talking to somebody in here today. When your life is on autopilot, you have no sense of purpose, no sense of self-worth, no sense of value. No sense of understanding your identity nor your authority. I believe this is the reasons, uh, some of the reasons that gangs became so prevalent because people who felt ostracized or, or put aside or just wasn't accepted, the gangs accepted them because they wanted a place to belong. I believe also very strongly that the reason the LGBTQ community, I have to put the Q on there for queer because that, that's what they call themselves. And I'm not trying to be uh, uh, offensive to anybody. If you understand that's what's going on in our society today, you can go to certain colleges, liberal colleges, and you can take queer classes. Uh, just go ahead and look it up. Check me on it. Trust me, they're there. So I'm not being uh, uh, offensive to them that they call themselves queer. There's a, uh, there's, there, there, there was a, a show on not too long ago. Queer eyes for the, yeah, that mess, right? And so, so, so they're not, they don't get offended by it. You might. But since they don't get offended by it, I just call it like I see it. I believe a lot of times the reason that that movement is so great is because there have been people who have been alienated and ostracized, and because they weren't accepted in the church, they just gravitated to the movement. That's why we got to get better as a church. Yeah, I'm going to preach about it. I'm going to preach about it the way God does. However, the church has to be a place of love. It has to be a place where people can get healed. And I know some of them say they were born that way, but there is no medical proof that you can be. And until then, I'm still going to preach it like God said. He said, because before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Well, that lets me know that God knew what your DNA was going to be, or like Medea said, Dana. 
He knew what your Dana was going to be before you even had a natural body. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, the Old Testament record in the book of Genesis, it teaches us something that's very fundamental that we need to understand about the creative order of man. He created man and he told man, dominate. He said, I'm giving you the ability to subdue is the Greek word kabosh. I mean, the Hebrew word kabosh. And then he said, have dominion is the Hebrew word rada. So in other words, those two words together means to conquer and control. God gave man the ability to conquer and control everything. Including your own life. If you're struggling with temptation and sin, God gave you the authority to conquer and control it. The problem is people don't want to control their sins. They want to also allow, they want us to say you are right to sin. When it's not all right for anybody sitting in this room to habitually sin. So don't get it twisted. I'm just talking about sin. I don't hype up one sin over the other. Every sin is sin. Now, there is one sin that's worse than others. It's the sin that you commit against your own body. The Bible said that is a greater sin because your body don't belong to you. You didn't create yourself. Now, you might think you control everything, but you ain't controlling nothing. God is on the throne. Now, you can reject him or you can receive him, but you're going to have to deal with him one way or the other. Now, the enemy used a very familiar tactic against the first man and the first woman in the garden. And it's the same tactic that he uses against us today. Write this down. The devil will only show you the one thing that is forbidden to distract you from what is permissible. The devil will only show you the one thing that's forbidden to distract you from what is permissible. And see, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, the B clause, it says, you shall be like God. How many of you ever read that in the Bible? Uh, the devil came to the woman and he said that, you know what, the day you eat of this forbidden fruit, the tree of what I call the tree of mixture, you'll learn more about this in my book. The tree of mixture was a mix of evil and good. So if you ate from the fruit of this tree... It wasn't like there was good fruit and evil fruit. It was one fruit. So if you ate from the fruit, you got both. There was not a good side and an evil side to the fruit. It was combined. It was mixed. And it's this amalgamation is what gets us in trouble today because there's a mixing going on that should not be mixed. So the devil told the woman, he said, from, in the day you eat it, you shall be like God, little g. Now, one thing you got to understand, when God created man, he created man in the homage day, and that's Latin for in the image of God. They were just like God. So in other words, they were already like God before the devil said anything about it. So in other words, the devil was trying to offer them something that they already had. One of the greatest tricks of the enemy, <laughs> one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is convincing people they can be more like God by defying his authority. In effect, becoming their own God, little g. And that's what the enemy was doing. See, self-exaltation and self-aggrandizing, it leads to rebellion against God. So the greatest tragedy known to mankind was caused by the devil questioning the identity of Adam and Mrs. Adam in the garden. And through their disobedience, they forfeited the true identity, putting more faith in what the devil was saying rather than what God had already said. So how do we learn who we are today? That's the ultimate question, right? How do we discover, is a Latin word, raison d'etre. How do we discover our reason for living? I'm glad you asked. First thing we must do, we must appropriate who God made you to be. And you can find that in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's go there now. 
Somebody say, I must appropriate who God made me to be. Say it again. I must appropriate who God made me to be. 1 Samuel chapter 17, I want you to turn there. It's important that you see what's in the scriptures. We are in church, so we do use a Bible. Yes, we do. I know that's foreign. I know sometimes you can go to church, you only need a Bible, but not in this one. 1 Samuel chapter 17, when you get there, say, I have it. So we're going to start reading at verse 38 and 39. I can't read all of it for the sake of time, but I do want to read these two passages of Scripture. It's very familiar once you read it. Uh, uh, verses 38 and 39 in 1 Samuel chapter 17 says, So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head and also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened the sword to his armor and tried to walk, and he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. So, so this, let me just try to give you a little backdrop here. Of course, this is the, the time when David was just running lunches to his brothers, and there was this giant that was taunting the children of Israel and the king, King Saul himself, and David was just walking up, and David couldn't understand why they were allowing this uncircumcised Philistine talk to the children of Israel like that or talking to the army of Israel like that because David understood something about God. David knew that God had ultimate authority. David knew that if you stood on God that you can defeat any giant. The reason David knew this is because nobody was looking when David was keeping the few sheep. And when David was keeping the few sheep, something tried to attack the sheep. It was a lion, and David killed the lion. It was a bear, and David killed the bear. Now, nobody was around but God. So David was doing all of this on the other side of the, of the valley. It was Goliath taunting the children of Israel on the other side of the valley. It was David understanding about the power and the authority of God when nobody else was looking. So on this side of the valley, the men was basking in the fear of man. And on this side of the valley, David was basking in the fear of God. And when you have a person that's been in the fear of God coming to the atmosphere, when you're scared of man, they don't treat man like you treat anybody else. So David said, how can you let this uncircumcised Philistine talk to you this way? Don't you know who you are? If you knew who you are, you wouldn't allow this uncircumcised Philistine talk to you this way. Do you know who God is in your life? He said, I'll kill him. He didn't say it like that because David was about as tall as T, so he was about like right there. I'll kill him. He's a little ruddy fellow, you know. <laughs> so, so can you imagine all of these tall, all these tall brothers out there with all of the armor on, looking all good, but they were punked out, afraid of another man, not understanding who they were in God. And this little ruddy fellow, nothing on, all he had was God in his life. He said, no, don't worry about it. I'll take care of him. So now when he got ready to do that, King Saul, who was also running in fear. Now, see, let me, let, me just, let me just show you something here about leadership. This is vitally important about leadership. When your leader don't have a backbone, you won't either. When your leader is complicit to sin and cultural modalities, then the whole church will be too. But you're coming to a place, my spine is straight up. And I'm hoping that by my spine being straight up, yours will be straight up too. What does that mean? That means I'm taking a strong stand on the gospel message. And the gospel don't change just because culture does. And neither am I preaching going to change. You can't offer me anything to go against God. I don't care if this church is dissolved or we get to be 25,000 people. I'm still going to preach the ministry like God gave it to me. Why? Because even if we close the doors to this church, you still ain't going to stop me from preaching. You'll follow me where I go, praise God. <laughs> We're going in the devil's den, ain't lying. Because <laughs> that's where I'm going. Because that's where you got to turn the light on. See, the problem is we got so much light in the church and we flickering against each other. It ain't helping nobody. What you need is to take your little flicker to a place where it's dark. 
into the world. Go up under that bridge. Go into the prison. Go into the shelter. The problem why we always yow yowing against each other because she's trying to say, well, my light is brighter than your light and your light ain't bright as my light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm getting ready to tear something up now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, the moment you're supposed to be out there doing stuff, then you go, oh. <laughs> David said to Saul, he put it on, but you got to understand something, saints of God. Saul tried to put his armor on David. David tried to walk in it, but he couldn't walk in it because you can't walk in somebody else's anointing. See, see. Saul put his fear on David. There are scores of people. They don't want to do something. They really don't want you to do it. So they have a pseudo support. They say, I, I, got, I got your back. Got the fingers crossed behind the back. Y'all know some people like that. You said, you said I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this. I'm going to do this. And they say, we're going to be with you. And as soon as you step out there, you, you call them up. We're sorry, this number has been disconnected. Wait a minute, I thought you was going to be right there with me. You see what I said? Yeah, see what happened was, see, you stepped out there, I wasn't ready for you to go. Right, so Saul tried to put his armor on David, but David didn't need somebody else's armor. Somebody say, it does not fit. It does not fit. Now, in order for you to understand what does fit, you got to understand what does not fit. In order to understand who you are, you got to understand who you're not. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are not wordless. You're not inept. You're not hopeless. You're not a fool, and you're not ignorant. These are the words that came up in prayer. These are the words that some of you sitting in this church have heard. So let's make this personal. We're going to say this together. You repeat it after me. Say, I'm not a mistake. I'm not, a mistake. I'm not an accident. I'm not, accident. I'm not worthless. I'm not, I'm not inept. I'm not, inept. I'm not hopeless. I'm not, I'm not a fool. I'm not ignorant. See, a fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So all atheists are fools. And they do have a holiday. It's called April. These are some of the words that the enemy will speak to you. These are some of the words that will come at your lowest points in your life. These are some of the words that you will hear when the enemy is trying to steal your identity. <laughs> and when you allow the enemy to steal your identity, listen to the words, then you will have a counterfeit life. You will have a counterfeit self. In other words, you create who you think you should be, not who God said you are. It's a counterfeit self. You, you may feel good at the moment, but it's fleeting. It's not going to last. Why? Because until we operate in who God created us to be, there will always be a void inside of us. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with any kind of other lifestyle. I'm just talking to you right now. If you're not operating in who God said you were, you will have a void. No husband can fill that void. No wife can fill that void. No relationship can fill that void. No new job can fill that void. No new house can fill that void. No new car can fill that void. No new makeup can fill that void. You can put on all the Mac you want to put on, but you're still going to have a void inside of you. And I, I like Mac. Mac is good. You, I, I, I want you to wear makeup in here. I'm all right with that. Because some people need to wear <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let me keep on. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. So the enemy will always try to get you to usurp your true identity and cause you to appropriate, because we were talking about the one who appropriate who God made you to be, to try to get you to appropriate a counterfeit self, but just like Saul's armor, the identity does not fit. What the world has called you does not fit. What your past has called you does not fit. What your ex-husband or your ex-wife have called you does not fit. What the devil has called you does not fit. When you sometimes have said bad things about yourself, it still does not fit. Depression does not fit. Lack does not fit. Broke does not fit. Worry does not fit. Depression does not fit. Let me tell you something. What fits is the kingdom of God. So what we should be declaring is something that don't fit in my life. I can't wear this. Why are you trying to put something on me that I can't wear? You can't put a religious tone to a society of people who follow God. I'm not trying to be religious. I'm just trying to be a man of God. Religion never changed anybody. God is the one who does the changing. You can go get a bunch of religion. And the Bible says our religion should be Christianity. But when you got Christians saying, I'm losing my religion, like somebody just said on their CD, losing your religion. Wait a minute. If you lose your religion, that means you lose your Christianity. So how does that work? For the Bible says pure religion is this, is our Christianity. So if you're a Christian, you say, I'm losing my religion, which is your Christianity, then how does that work? So how do you just, how do you just lose your Christianity just because you want to fit in? I ain't naming no names. But y'all know who I'm talking about. If you've been to this church any time, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> At some point, we got to be like David. We said, you know what? I can't go this way. At some point, the church has to say, you know what? We just can't do it. We got to take a stand here and got to take a stand right now. The church is at a critical impasse right now. And it's amazing to me, we're having a, a, a we got to have a theological discussion about where we got to pee. <laughs> I'm going to talk about it. I'm not afraid. I'm not scared of nobody in here. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't understand. It's, 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 it's ludicrous to me that you got 3% of the population controlling so much. And you know why? Because the church is too busy trying to see whose light is the brightest. And then when we should be taking a stand, we say, well, I don't like to get into politics. Well, I'm telling you right now, you better get in it. Because it's the political figures now that's running everything, passing laws that are antithetical to Christianity. And I'm talking about the current administration. I'm not talking about what's getting ready to happen. I have no, that's why we got to pray. That's why we need an intercessory prayer ministry. Because both sides are jacked up. And don't even make me talk about a socialist. You, go, you just visit a socialist, company, a, a socialist country and see if you survive. I pay taxes now. Surely I don't want some socialist. I don't care how good the message sounds. You better understand what he's getting ready to do. If you want to pay 90% out of your check, nothing is free. Freedom is not free. Jesus Christ had to die and pay the price. There's nothing free in this world. I serve this nation. I've military people dying so that we can be free. There's nothing free about freedom. You better open up your mindset and understand what's going on spiritually. And I just happen to be the right one to talk about it because... Hey, it's going to be blatantly in our faces anyway. And at least if I get locked up, I'm getting locked up believing something. Like Martin Luther King did. 
believing in something so good that I'm, you can lock me up, you can persecute me, you can do anything that you want to do because that's the same thing Jesus did. He said, you can persecute me, you can whip me, but I'm going all the way to the cross because that's what my father said I should do. And see, in instant obedience, it shouldn't matter what people say, it shouldn't matter what people do, but in instant obedience, you say, I'm going straight to the cross, I'm going to stay in my lane, you can do this and you can do that, but I'm going straight to Jesus. Talk to me, somebody. You better have some conviction about who you believe in. And if you don't know who you are. You will allow other people to define who you are. I just choose to allow God to define me. And I refuse to be defined by perversion. I said I refuse to be defined by perversion. Hello, somebody. Write this down. God's call on your life does not need the assistance of man-made armor. I'm telling you that right now. God has a divine call on everybody's life in this room. And I don't don't try to believe that everybody in the room is saved. I don't know where you are with God. That's not my job to know where you are with the Lord. But I will tell you this, since you're in this church, I will tell you that God did make a divine destiny for everybody in this room. Now, now, it's totally up to you because it's by choice. Everybody in here has to make choices. Those choices can be godly or ungodly. There is no middle ground. There's no gray with God. You're either righteous or unrighteous, holy or unholy. You're either saved or not saved, pregnant or not. There's no little pregnant. You can't, you, you, you can't be a little pregnant. You, either, you got a child or you don't. Jesus said it this way so I can clean the record up for you. He said, you're either for me. Or you are against me. So you got to choose what side you're going to be on. And you need to choose it right now. This choice has to be made right now. You have to, in your heart, understand if you're going to be a Christian, you better arm yourself up right now. Because everything that's coming out of Washington is antithetical to Christianity. If you open your eyes, you will see that. Now, listen, I'm not trying to talk about any one person. I'm just talking about what's coming our way. It was one president that opened the door to all of this mess. And it's the one that's on there now. So I'm willing to talk about the truth. Since some of y'all might not come back, I'm just going to give you some truth. Because the truth is the truth, whether you believe it or not. And it stands by itself. You can walk out, but it's still true what I said. You don't need the assistance of man. To do spiritual things for God. It won't fit. You don't have to talk like other Christians. You don't have to preach like other Christians. You don't have to even walk like some of them. Some of them, I ain't going to walk like them. You don't even know. They talk, they say they're Christian, but then when you look at their lifestyle, you know, my job, they say they're Christian, but then they cussing folks out and stuff. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I know, and that's why I'm talking under my breath, because I'm sure y'all never deal with people like that, that in, in the ha-ta-ba-ba-ba-ha-ta-bo-ta-ba new Cadillac, they all around. You walk in the elevator, and you say, hey, they say, I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed, blessed, blessed. I'm highly favored in the Lord. And then 10 minutes later, you see them cussing somebody out. Well, I thought you just said you were. Oh, hey, John. Uh-huh. Do you know who you are? Because if you know who you are, you won't change when you get around different cultural groups. See, it doesn't matter if I'm around black people, white people, Hispanic people. I'm going to be the same person. I don't get around black folks to talk bad about white people. I'm just telling you. Now, I used to be a racist. I was all about black power. <laughs> I ain't lying. I, boy, I'd rip you up. <laughs> I ain't lying. It was all about my, my wife would tell you. It was all about blackness. I don't want to hear it. And then, and, and then the Lord opened my eyes. He sent, yeah, he, he, did you hear what she said? The Lord sent me her, right, to open my eyes. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. She, she helped the brother out to get me out of all that mess, right? Because I got to understand, if I am going to be a church for all God's people, I can't sit at home talking bad about white people and Hispanics. 
Because, see, what you do in your private time is who you really are. So you can't be at home calling white people crackers and all this other stuff and calling Mexicans all this other stuff, and then you want to go smile in their faces. You are a hypocrite. You can't be a white person at home and talking about, y'all know what I'm talking about. And then you want to get up in our face talking about, oh, you brother, I just, you just, so, no, you better. Somebody know what I'm talking about in here? Now, I'm just giving you truth right now. Who you are privately is who you are publicly. And see, the reason a lot of people's public life is a facade is because what they do privately. See, and you can't be powerful publicly unless you're ground in privately. You can ask anybody, in, you know, if they're not doing what they're supposed to do publicly, I mean privately, then publicly they get in front of the church and say, oh, we're getting a divorce. Make a ministry, come to church one day, and their pastor's getting a divorce because they can't get along. Now, they're supposed to be spirit-filled. Yeah. Wait a minute, hold on, let me just check something. Okay, you're supposed to be spirit-filled? And you can't get along. Somebody is lying. One of y'all ain't saved. It might be both of you. But God just don't put me in front of people like that because he know I'll just go off right now. But I will go before people like that. And they're going to answer to God for this mess that we see in the churches today. So while... They at home bickering and fussing and sleeping in different beds. They at church trying to tell you how to have a good, good marriage. Well, wait a minute. That don't work. Wait a minute. If you don't know how to have a good marriage at home, how you going to try to tell me how to have one? That's what I tell y'all all the time. We are madly in love with each other. That ain't got nothing to do with y'all. My, my baby girl will tell you how much we in love with each other at the house. And I know that she gets, you know. She don't like when I talk about stuff like this, but it's real. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. And so listen, listen, you don't have to worry about it. our private life. Oh, we, we, well, we, we sealed in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's good. It's good. And it's really good. I think right now, I think right now, I don't know how you feel about it. I think right now, these are some of the best days of our marriage right now. You think that? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said yeah, because that really would have been embarrassing. Hey, <laughs> Lon, I thought about it at first. I said, boy, I better not step out there off of that boat, boy, because this could be ugly. <laughs> Y'all just don't know how. <laughs> Ooh, that was a <laughs> thank you, baby. <laughs> And so, 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 yeah, and 21 years later, we, we, we're still madly in love with each other. I think I'm more in love with her today than I have ever been in my life, right, 21 years later. Now, listen, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that starting. She ain't like me. No. You love me, but there's sometimes you ain't like me. Yeah, yeah, I know. Sometimes, right? That, that goes, right? Sometimes you, but, but that's what love is. Right? We, we fuss. Look, well, I told y'all before, if we're going to fuss, we're going to fuss in front of you. We ain't going to go in the room talking about, we don't want the church folks to see us fuss. No, we're going to fuss right there in front of you. When we going to our bedroom, my house ain't going to my bedroom, my house to fuss. No, you just need to see how people fuss. You're going to fuss. Away with this stuff. We never argue about anything. Well, if you ain't arguing, you ain't talking. But just because we're fussing, we're not going to get a divorce. Somebody has to repent in the relationship. Somebody has to go low. I heard that question. I heard it. I heard it. I heard what y'all just asked. Which one got to go low first? I heard it. I heard it. I don't know who asked that. That was you. That, that was you, Shelley, wasn't it? <laughs> I saw your face. Well, Pastor, which one need to go low first up in here? <laughs> yeah, it's the mature one. The mature one goes low first. So whichever one of you that's mature. <laughs> 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 Is that that moment? 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. So you got to appropriate who God made you to be. Not only appropriate, but you need to also accept who God made you to be. You know what? If you're short, God made you short. Praise the Lord. I'm not talking about anybody in the room. Paint size? Fun size. Hallelujah. They even have little cars like that go beep, beep, beep for you. Somebody turn to 2 Samuel chapter 4. <laughs> so the first one is what? Appropriate. Appropriate who God made you to be. The second one is accept who God made you to be. Accept who God made you to be. Um, m- my wife had to talk with a family member uh, just yesterday because they have dark skin. And she, she just doesn't feel beautiful. And I love dark skin. I mean, I married a blackberry, so... But you need to be comfortable in the skin you're in. If you're caramel, if you're white, if you're dark chocolate, if you're white chocolate. (laughs) Right, Erica? (laughs) Y'all don't know what a white chocolate person looks like. Here's one right here. (laughs) And she'll tell you, too, you know. (laughs) I ain't lying. Erica will be out with us and everything. She's more black than us. And they're right. They be looking at her like, is something wrong? I see the face, but the, the voice, something ain't right. But they just hating. But she didn't apply for a job at the NAACP. So, 2 Samuel chapter. <laughs> My bad. I know it. I know it. I, I had to hit it. That was... Okay, let's move on. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 4. Don't get offended by that. It was the truth. So, so 2 Samuel chapter, y'all know that girl was white. You got two lily white parents. You know that girl was white. Looking at me crazy. 2 Samuel chapter 4. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Don't us all. Y'all know. Y'all know. Come on. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4 says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul, what, y'all there? Okay, everybody, everybody there yet? Okay, maybe I start reading too fast. Okay, all right, good. So, so it says, then Saul, Jonathan's son, came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Somebody say that. Wait a minute. But clear your throat because I don't want you to spit on the person in front of you. <laughs> clear your throat. Somebody say, <clears throat> say Mephibosheth. I know, boy. You're speaking in tongues now. Somebody say, I ain't never spoken in tongues. You just did. <laughs> Somebody say Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, the grandson of King Saul. Let me just give you the backdrop. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, then I'm going to go right back into this so I can lay this out. King Saul was the king of Israel at one time. David would not touch King Saul because David understood authority. As a matter of fact, Saul went to pee in a cave. David and his men were there. The men said, David, now is the time to take the throne. David went up, cut off a piece of Saul's robe, and went back. The king went out, back into the valley. David came up and said, King Saul. As a matter of fact, he gave Saul so much authority, he said, my father. Go back and read it. He said, my father, look what I have done. And then he got convicted. He said, the Lord knows I shouldn't have done it. I could have taken your life back there in the cave, but I spared you. And he said, look at my hand, king. I cut off a piece of your robe, but I could have taken your life. He said, but the Lord knows I can't touch the Lord's anointed one. King Saul said, is that you, my son, David? And he said these words. He said, you are a better man 
then I. David said, I can't touch the man. I got to wait for God to do it. And if you know the history, King Saul killed himself. He was losing the war. He told his armor bearer to kill him. He fell on his sword. Jonathan was dead. Now next in line was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was supposed to take over the kingdom. But David became the king. Now, what, was, what usually happened was when a new king took over a kingdom, they killed the whole family. Wiped them out. But King David did something different. David made an offer to Mephibosheth to come eat at his table. He sent him an invitation for Mephibosheth to come out of Lodabar. Lodabar means parched pastures. To come out of Lodabar. But Mephibosheth said, why would the king invite me when I'm lower than a dead dog or a flea? He was lame in his feet. He couldn't walk because when the nurse ran out of the house with him, she was trying, or he was trying to protect Mephibosheth because he knew the new king was coming. He slipped, fell on Mephibosheth's feet, and he became lame. The king called for me. Look at my man, I'm trying to set something up for you. The king called for this person who was damaged to come and eat at his table. Mephibosheth said, I'm not worthy to sit at the king's table. So David told Ziba, go get him and bring him to my kingdom. Glory to God. And so Mephibosheth came and ate at the king's table. Now, what's amazing about this story, he was the only man that I've read about that was in the king's presence but never got healed. So up front, up top, he looked great. But if you look up under the table, you can see his little crooked feet. He was delivered but damaged. Much like some of you. Some of you have been dropped. Crippled by what somebody else did to you. And you've been living your life in Lodabar. Away from the king's table. Away from your purpose because you don't know who you are. And the king is saying, come eat at my table. And you're saying, but I got crooked feet. I need you to go to the community. Well, I, I, I don't have enough money. I need you to preach to my people. But I hadn't been to seminary. The king ain't interested in, your, in, in where you're damaged. He said, come. So in other words, I accept you the way you are so I can transform you. Amen. Knowing who you are means you accept who God made you to be. See, once you accept who God made you to be, then you can eat at his table. But if you don't, then you will eat at another table. So you got to ask yourself, who's feeding you? Because I can determine where you're eating at based on what you say. Based on how you live. I know what table you're eating from. As a matter of fact, I know who your daddy is too. <laughs> let me just go on out there. Since I'm out there, let me go on out there. Jesus said that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And he told the Pharisees, I know who your daddy is because you're lying just like your daddy. So if you walk around here lying, thieving, cussing, fornicating person, I know who your daddy is. It's definitely not the daddy I'm thinking about. Because that daddy convicts you of your sins and keep you from doing all that stuff. So who's your daddy? Mm -hmm. 
I did, I, did, I did a message about what, about four years ago called, Who's Your Baby's Daddy? <laughs> I did, didn't I? Who's your baby? You know what that means? That means everybody's giving birth to something. So whatever you're giving birth to, that's your daddy. If you're not giving birth to something holy, then I know who your daddy is. Who's your baby daddy? Oh, y'all so holy. Don't be afraid to accept who you are. Somebody say this with me. I am a Christian. And I know if you're not a Christian, you can't say that. And I'm not saying you, you, don't, you don't say it. But if you are a Christian, you shouldn't be ashamed to say it. If you're not a Christian, this will be a good time to be one. But God is not going to force anybody to get saved. And neither am I. I, I throw the lifeline out. You still have to make that choice, right? But I am telling you, you, you can't get yourself right to come to God. You come to God so God can get you right. Don't be afraid to say, I am accepted in the beloved. I am, I am redeemed. I'm the blood washed. I'm not ashamed. These are all things that we should understand about being a Christian. Somebody say amen. amen. Uh, let's go to the last one. So you appropriate who you are, accept who you are, and check this one out. This, this is one that a lot of people need to do for real. Well, that's the scripture. I didn't even go on that. 139, 13, and 14. Write that one down for you. For, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. See, see that right there speaks to what, how much God loves you. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. The Psalms 139, 13, and 34. Appreciate who God made you to be. That's the last one. Appreciate who God made you to be. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, and then we're going to pray right after this. And... We out of here. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to the New Testament. I like going all over this Bible. I love hearing pages turn. It's a good thing. I mean, that Bible is being used. Your Bible should look worn. I had like two Bibles. I already tore up. I couldn't even bring them anymore. They got stuff all in them. The, the binding on it is all jacked up. I'm sorry. Messed up. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. When you get that, say, I have it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. I'm going to go ahead and start reading there while you turn there. Uh, the Bible says, um, mm, well, do I want to read more? Give me just a second. No, I'm going to just start at 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift. It's a free gift, but it wasn't free to have it. I must say that. Because Jesus, it was a ransom that had to be paid. Jesus Christ paid the ransom with his life. So, therefore, it's free for us, but somebody had to pay. Amen. Nothing in life is free. Somebody has got to pay. Uh, verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his masterpiece. Somebody say I'm a masterpiece. Uh, some translations say workmanship, but it's the word masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Somebody say a masterpiece. I was doing some studying on Michelangelo, and the Bible, uh, history says, not the Bible, history says that what Michelangelo would do, he would have uh, a, a big rock or, or marble nothingness. It's just a big block. And the history book says that Michelangelo would walk around that block several times talking to himself. They would come, and he would just say, don't bother me. He would walk around the block. He's looking at this marble block. He's looking at it. He's talking to himself and looking at this block. People wouldn't bother him, but when they came back, they saw what he did with the block. He created a masterpiece out of something that looked worthless. Not everybody is going to see what you were created to be. A lot of people just see the block. It takes a master sculptor. To make something out of nothing. Jesus says you are a masterpiece. People will come around you and they see, mm, no, nah, they ain't going to do nothing. Don't worry about it because God says, yeah, that's a masterpiece right there. You don't understand what's in them. See, Michelangelo didn't see the block. He saw the masterpiece through the block. 
your life, in life, you will go through so many different things that will skew how you look at yourself. You might look in the mirror and see a block. God looks in the mirror and see a masterpiece. This is why it's critical not to fall into self-deprecation because you start talking about yourself. You start speaking bad about yourself because you see the block. And when you speak bad about yourself, there's no need for the enemy. You just allow him to steal your identity. Why? Because now you are identifying with something that's not a masterpiece. Too many people in the church today don't see that in themselves. They don't see that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. They don't see that, look, God didn't die for something that was worthless. You're not worthless. He died for you because he loves you. See, I'm not going to introduce you to another religion. I want to introduce you to a kingdom. Because only in the kingdom you can understand who you are. And once you understand who you are, then you can understand the authority that you have. You need to know who your daddy is. There is no in-between. You either love him or you reject him. Everybody in here will live forever. Somewhere. But you need to understand what your why is. This is the last one. Write this one down. You have been chosen by God. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, his very own possession. Now, that's in the Bible, and here are my words. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is for people to know who they are. We hope you've been blessed by today's powerful teaching. Thank you for your continued prayers and financial support of this ministry. Visit us in person at 5805 West Highway 74 in Indian Trail, North Carolina. That's near Lowe's Hardware. Or you can find us on the web at www.changeatc3.org. That's change, C-H-A-N-G-E-A-T-C, the number three, dot org. Or call us at 704-821-7368. Covenant Community Church, where the truth is revealed.